Blog Talk Radio. The Talk with Micah and Friends radio show with the Human Rights Campaign continue to work towards justice and equality for transgendered people. Tonight we not mourn but celebrate the lives of our trans women that have lost their lives this year, 2017, since January 1st due to inexcusable violence. Misha Caldwell, 41, from Canton, Mississippi. Jamie Lee, Wounded Arrow, 28, from Sioux Falls, South Dakota, Jojo Stryker, 23, from Toledo, Ohio, Tierra Richmond, also known as Kiki Collier, 24, from Chicago, Illinois, China Gibson, also known as China Doll Dupree, 31, from New Orleans, Louisiana, Sierra McElveen, 26, from New Orleans, Louisiana, Jaquarius Holland, 18 from Monroe, Louisiana. Alfonso Watson, 38 from Baltimore, Maryland. Shay Reed, 28 from Miami, Florida. Sherelle Faulkner, 46 from Charlotte, North Carolina. Kenye McFadden, 27 from San Antonio, Texas. Kendra Marie Adams, 28 from Ithaca, New York. Ava LaRae Barron, 17, from Athens, Georgia. Ebony Morgan, 28, from Lynchburg, Virginia. At this time, we would like to honor each of these ladies with a brief moment of silence. Thank you. Hello, hello, and hello. Welcome to the new season, season three of The Talk with Micah and Friends. It's the talk with Micah and Hey guys and gals, this is your host, creator, and producer, Micah. That's right, I am back, finally, 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 we are back, okay? But, yeah, I'm here, very happy, humbled, and very excited to present tonight my 60th episode. That's right, my 60th episode, can you believe that? Six, zero. So very excited and happy about it, okay? Tonight's show is actually entitled... Where is the T in LGBTQIA? Not what is the T, but where is the T in LGBTQIA? And a little bit later on, we're actually going to break down the L, the G, the B, the T, the Q, the I, and the A for you, okay? Because each one of those letters, they represent and mean something within our community. So we'll address that a little bit later on. Now remember, tonight is just not about a discussion amongst, you know, the guests and and the co-hosts, but it's also 
or should be a collective effort and an interactive discussion and conversation on tonight. So we want we want you to chime in and be a part of tonight's conversation, okay? So you have three ways that you can become a part of tonight's conversation. Number one, if you're listening from your phone and you hear something that sparks your interest or, you know, uh, sparks a question or a comment or a concern, you choose option number one on your phone, it alerts me and I'll bring you on, okay? That's option number one. Option number two is Facebook. You can actually inbox me, no matter if you're my friend or not, you can inbox me, Micah Pierce, M-I-C-A-H-P-I-E-R-C-E, that's M-I-C-A-H-P-I-E-R-C-E, so inbox me on Facebook with your comment, your question, or your concern, and I'll address that as time allows, okay? Third option, you can go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash the talk with Micah. Again, blogtalkradio.com forward slash the talk with Micah. Follow the show, and then you can open up the chat pod, and you can go ahead and put your question, your comment, or your concern right there, and I'll address it, okay? So, again, you have three options. You can simply press one on your phone if you're listening via phone. You can inbox me on Facebook, Micah Pierce, and I'll address it there. Or you can simply go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash the talk with Micah and put your comment, question, or concern in the chat pod, okay? So you have many different ways to get in contact with us and let your voice be heard. So I'm very excited about what's to come in just a few minutes. But before we move on, I actually have a few other things I want to address tonight. Now, since we're actually back in the full swing of things, and it's actually season three, okay? It's a season three premiere. I'm feeling, you know, I'm feeling real giving tonight, okay? So what I want to do, because you guys know I have like a sponsor section, right? Sponsor section or, or rather um, advertisement section, you know, for those that like to, you know, promote their business brand or their next event that's coming up. This is what I want to do. I want to extend a pro bono opportunity, a.k.a. free opportunity, to five entrepreneurs out there who wish to have their business advertised here, not only live on the show, but also through the Talk With Mike and Friends Facebook page, okay? So if you're interested... Please just be the first five people, a.k.a. entrepreneurs, <laughs> to shoot me an email to the talk with Micah at gmail.com, okay? And I'll be sure to provide you with the necessary information to go ahead and get you started. Now, keep in mind, your advertisement will run for the next five consecutive shows, absolutely no cost to you, F-R-E-E free, okay? Now, after that, after your five consecutive free advertisements, if you, hey, you want to continue to advertise, It'll be just $15 per episode, okay? And if you say, hey, I'm done, I'm good, I'm done, and I'm good too. (laughs) But no, if you want to continue, you can, but you don't have to, all right? But again, email me, thetalkwithmike at gmail.com, if you'd like to be the first five that's advertised over the next five consecutive shows, okay? All right? So remember, get in where you fit in, and that's here, of course, on the Talk with Micah and Friends. And lastly, okay, lastly, if you have any new show ideas or you'd like to be a part of our new Candid Conversation show, of which is actually soon going to have a new and approved name, please feel free to email us at thetalkwithmicah at gmail.com, okay? Email me at thetalkwithmicah at gmail.com. Now, if there's somebody in the community that you would love to have on the show, that you would like to see and hear on the show, um, it could be an advocate, an activist, an icon, a legend, you know, all those great things. As long as they have some substance and they have a story, I'm here for it. Inbox me to talk with Mike at gmail.com, and I'll make sure we make that happen, okay? Whatever show 
you would like to see, whatever idea that you would like um, to come into fruition, just go ahead and inbox me, you know. And I don't shoot down ideas. I improve ideas. Always remember that. Now, with all of that said, because my mouth is dry and we have a great show lined up for you tonight, I'm going to go ahead and take a quick break. I'm going to pay some dues. And when we get back, we're going to have with us our featured co-host for the evening, Miss Ebony Sherry of Atlanta, Georgia, along with her four featured guests to take part in Where is the Tea in LGBTQIA. We'll be right back. What's up, everybody? This is Craig Stewart. My book's Words Never Spoken and the follow-up, One Thing for Certain, Two Things for Sure, can be purchased now from my website. That's www.craigtherightofstewart.com. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm AL. And I'm, and I'm C. C. And we, and we are, are the Exeter Twins. And check out our brand new single, If You Let Me, today on iTunes. Visit our website, www.exceteratwins.com. Hi, this is Miss Continental 2016, Giselle Barbie Royale, and you are listening to The Talk with Micah and Friends. Thank you, Ms. Continental, Giselle Barbie Royale. Um, if you are listening, you actually have tuned in at the right time. Uh, tonight's show, I promise, should be a, one of great conversation, understanding, education, and even one of inclusion and not exclusion. A few years ago, um, shortly after I created this radio platform for the LGBTQ community, I contacted Toya Washington, a.k.a. Ebony Sherry, after attending the 2014 Trans Health Conference in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, about us, you know, coming together, putting our ideas together, and producing a show we felt was needed to make not only our community aware of trans issues and the trans community as a whole, but to also educate society in general on what it means to be trans, what it means to accept it, to be accepted, to stand for equality, and to realize individuals of trans experience are people too, people that must be and should be heard, respected, and appreciated for what they contribute to everyday society. So we kept toying with the idea, um, but because of schedules and in life, uh, we could never get this particular show off the ground. <laughs> but luckily and purposefully, it's happening tonight. Um, so I kind of want to think that this time is the right time. I, I feel like the stars have aligned, especially with so much visibility, positive and negative, 
um, to address the concerns, to educate the masses, and simply bring awareness. So with that said, I want to first introduce our featured guests that are here with us tonight. And from there, I will have um, tonight's co-host welcome us into the conversation and go ahead and lead us with our first topic. Um, so I'll start with our first guest. Uh, this young lady is a resident of Chicago, Illinois. She is, she is a diversity and inclusion services coordinator in human resources for Howard Brown Health in Chicago, Illinois. She has a Master of Business Administration, Human Resources Management degree, and a Bachelor's of Science in Psychology. She is a community advocate for trans inclusion of programs and services. She's very passionate about the rights of, trans of the trans community and violence against trans women of color. So let's welcome to the show for the very first time, Tatiana Mosin. Welcome to the show, Tatiana. Hi, Micah. Hello, everyone. Thank you for the honor and privilege to be here with these fine ladies this evening. Great, great, great. Good to have you. This young lady um, just found out that she's actually originally from New Orleans, Louisiana, but she's now a resident of Dallas, Texas. She is a public educator, advocate, and humanist whose mission in life is to be a living example of what love truly is, what it looks like, sounds like, and what it feels like. Through her life experiences and spiritual gifts, she's been able to touch the lives of many people whom she comes in contact with. Sharing the gift of love is much more than a word to her. It's a part of her being. She's an active member of the Black Trans Women, Inc., and currently serves in leadership for its Texas chapter, as well as being the co-chair for the 2018 National Black Trans Advocacy Conference. She's been recognized for her contribution to the advancement of black transgender equality, receiving a 2016 Black Trans Advocacy Rising Star Award. She's also been awarded by the Dallas LGBTQ community as being a Young Leader of the Year in 2014 and nominated once again in 2015. She was nominated as a 2016 Woman of Distinction at her at her employee, employee, as well as being awarded a prestigious community service award for her contribution to the betterment of our community. This young lady is currently working on writing about her experiences in the midst of her journey in hopes that it will teach the lives of others to be more understanding and educated about people of trans experience. So let's welcome to the show for the very first time, Ms. Jade Lenore. Thank you guys so very much for having me. I'm so glad to be here among so many other great uh, individuals in the community. So thank you for having me, and I'm excited for the conversation. Not a problem. You're welcome. You're welcome. This lovely young lady is a native of New Orleans, Louisiana. She received her Bachelor of Arts degree in speech education from the University of New Orleans. Um, after graduating, she spent two years teaching within the Orleans Parish School System before she was actually introduced to the stage and the art form of female impersonation. Upon finding her place on the stage, she also released and unlocked her true authentic self. She then entered the world of competition and through the years found herself, if not winning the crown, coming really, really close. She's placed in the top five in Miss Gay USA Bay and Miss Black America, among other systems. She is a former Miss Liberty International, Miss Click and Miss Essence Classic, and in April of this year, she relinquished her title of Miss Continental Elite in Chicago, Illinois. Let's welcome to the show again, Miss Carolyn Fox. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Micah, for having me. I'm happy to be here again. You're welcome, welcome. I'm glad you're here. And um, we have a, a, another young lady that um, is supposed to be with us tonight. Um, she's not here yet, but she may chime in a little bit later on, and that will be Ms. Samaya Turner. I'm going to introduce her anyway, even though she's not currently on the line, um, but in the event that she comes on, you already know who she is. But this young lady is originally from South Carolina, my home, my home state. Um, she is a graduate of Georgia State University. She has a master's degree. 
She's currently a law student at John Marshall School of Law in Atlanta, Georgia. She is, a, she is the director and community organizer for Atlanta Pre-Arrest Diversion Program and has been a community organizer for over 10 years. And so that is Mr. Maya Turner, and we welcome her, and hopefully she's able to join us on tonight. And last but certainly not least, we want to bring back to the show um, this young lady. I met her casually about 12 years ago while she was competing for Miss Liberty International, which she actually won that year. Um, later, about five years down the line, I don't know if she remembers, but I met her again personally through her, through her former king and one of my best of friends, Kobe Black, in 2010, and it was actually in her home. We stayed up all night talking about pageants. Um, while she is a former Miss Liberty International, Diamond of the South, Miss Models, Inc., and Miss Black National, she's also a former Miss Black Universe. She is truly an advocate of trans equality, inclusiveness, and downright education of our community about us and how we should day-to-day not only be respected by others, but first respecting ourselves. I could not have thought of anyone else to talk this show with me on tonight, and I'm so glad that finally the stars have aligned, as I said before, for us to work together. So let's welcome back to the show my co-host and the spearhead of tonight's conversation, also a native of New Orleans, Louisiana, but now residing in Atlanta, Georgia, Miss Toya Washington, but also known as Ebony Sherry. Welcome back to the show, Ebony. <laughs> uh, thank you, Michael. Finally, I'm back home, right? You're back. You're back. You're back. Yeah, finally. So I'm going, I'm going to go ahead finally. and pass the mic over to you. <laughs> oh, ready. wow. Okay. Yeah. Let's jump right into Yeah, let's jump right into it. Let's jump right into it. I'm an avid believer that in order for us to move forward, we have to be aware, cognizant, and educated of our future and our past. Most importantly, our past. Um, in this community and life period, we for that inspire us. And as they say now, with the old girls versus the new girls, I like to say the old meets the new. Um, there's a difference between the age groups, and I think it's very important that we pay homage and respect to the ladies who made it much easier for us to live in the generation now, or what they call the millennials. With that being said, I would like to introduce. Um, one of the ladies who was very instrumental into my upbringing in various in various ways. Um, she has been a pillow of the community wherever she goes. She's a she's she's very respectable and she's always loved and she just have an amazing spirit and she's inspiring. So I would like to take this time because she is an elder. So she's one of the people who I looked up to and some of the things and the knowledge that she has spewed unto me, I think could be beneficial to others. So at this time, I would like to ask Auntie Terry Lynn. Um, We have three generations on this call, including yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I would like to pay homage to you and show respect to you as an elder and to the many other elders who have fought and paved the way. I know how important it is for the younger generation to know their history. And in this space right now, it's important for me to take this time to affirm you. Oh, my God, thank you so much. Um, yeah, I don't know what definitely. to say. I'm honored. Um, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, you don't have to say much, but you just can offer that, those same words of affirmation to the younger generations of ladies who need it. Um, and, and continue to inspire, starting with the ladies on the call. Um, I just want you to give them something that they can take along their journey that inspires you and kept you kept kept you moving on. Oh my God, there are so many, so many different things, and I think what really inspired me to keep moving on was something my mom always told me. She said, "No one was actually born a woman." 
you grow into womanhood through growth, maturity, and experience. And I think that what inspired me to continue to live because each and every day that I live and I see the new experience that my transfers makes my heart so overwhelmed because I didn't have that, you know, in my past. You know, the only thing that I was able to do and some of the other girls who were in my age bracket, we weren't able to get the jobs that you girls are having to do. You know, we only did was work the street, work the bars, work in someone's hair salon. But to see the progress that my sisters are making today, that just that just keeps me motivated and moving on, you know. And I'm just so proud of the progress that we have made, but there's so much more that needs to be done. But that's what keeps me motivated and keeps me moving on to see that there is so much to be done and we can do it. Wow, that was beautiful. So I would like to now offer that same luxury that was afforded to you for the generation now or the millennials to actually offer some words of affirmation to one of the ladies or one of the older ladies or the elder ladies that inspired inspired them or impacted or changed their lives and speak their name in this space. Oh, my God. So I'd like to start with Tatiana. Mm-hmm. Well, for myself, um, coming from Chicago, there were a lot of um, trans, women of trans experience that were influential in my upbringing and um, just basically my steerage into trans advocacy in particular, um, someone who was often, I I guess I can say, she was very vocal, a very vocal proponent, and one of the first women to make the inroads for um, trans women of color in particular here with uh, advocacy and with a lot of community organizations. And her name was Lois Bates, and may she rest in peace continually. But um, she wasn't recognizing giving the due homage that she was due a lot from a lot of people in the community. And particularly, there were times that she would sit on boards and sit inside of um, study meetings and, you know, on for medication, and she would advocate for trans women to be included in the research studies. And I just want to pay homage to her because she was a very, very vocal proponent in the community here for a lot of the uh, trans women of color, and I truly, truly appreciate her for everything that she has done. But also just a lot of the, like I said, a lot of the elder women who were in the community at the time that I had um, come into knowing myself. But I, I, I always am grateful for the shoulders that I stand on, and I don't take that for granted because there were a lot of women who lost their lives to be able to do the work and to be able to enjoy, enjoy the luxuries that a lot of us trans women, especially some of the younger generation, often take for granted. So I am eternally grateful to Tara Lynn and other women like her who fought and never gave up that determination and dedication. And, and besides that, did not turn their backs on the community when they got to a place where they felt like I have I have arrived. So I truly appreciate that. Mm, that was beautiful and very, very genuine and heartfelt. Um, Jade, now it's your turn. Let's tell us about one of those fierce, fabulous ladies that inspired you. Well, um, and following behind two great, you know, wonderful, inspiring responses, uh, for me, um, coming into the community at a, a later stage in my life, um, there weren't very many examples that I that I knew personally. Uh, the ones that stood out to me specifically uh, that I was able to meet personally uh, was one 
Monica Roberts, whom I'm sure we may all have heard of and either may or may not know personally, uh, but she is such a strong Mm -hmm. black woman, and she has knocked down so many barriers for us, uh, specifically here in Texas and all over the nation, um, by continuing to be the voice and continuing to educate. Um, And to me, she's almost like our historian. She brings forth so much information, so much knowledge, and so much wisdom to the community. And she was just a force to be reckoned with. And I was so honored when I first met her. Uh, And I was was so nervous because I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's the Monica Roberts. Um, And she was just so sweet and so, so uh, welcoming uh, to me. Um, in addition to her, uh, Camarion Anderson uh, definitely has been a, a great resource for me, a mentor for me, um, amongst uh, my very, very close mentor, of which I won't necessarily name, but um, she is the one who first saw me for me. And um, she saw through the shell that was there, and she saw the the beautiful woman inside. And um, I will forever be grateful to her and the other women that I mentioned uh, for continuing to do the work that they do and being the beautiful examples and representations of women that they are um, and continuing to do that. Wow, that's beautiful. I also had the privilege of meeting Monica. I call her Mama Monica Roberts. She's one of one of the one of the original pit bulls for justice, as I would like to say. Um, she's an advocate. She's radical. She is nonstop with her, with with her with her advancement toward the movement of our people and our community. And if anybody get a chance, follow her on Facebook. If you want to know anything or any about any of the changes that's being done in the community or in in the world in general to affect our lifestyles and well-being, go to her Facebook page. It's open to everybody. She has this thing where she has the, um, what she call it, the shut up now. <laughs> oh, my God, it's hilarious, where she calls out the politicians and she just calls them out on their wrongdoing. And, and she seeks out injustice wherever it may hide, and she puts a name and face on it, and I love her for that. Um Wow, that was beautiful. I'm kind of stuck there for a minute. But um, now that we have talked about trans, um, we kept using that word. We're going to dig more deeply into what is trans and the terminology of it. And before we get into that, um, there's a video or there's an audio that um, I would like you guys to hear. Um, I think Micah has to locate it. But once Micah located, oh, I'm I ready. You guys to hear that audio. <laughs> oh, well, run it. Let's okay. Hear it. All right, hold on. This is a boy. This is a girl. We are all assigned a gender at birth. Not everyone agrees with this gender assignment. The people that don't are transgender. A person's gender identity is not their biological sex. It is the sex they identify as. Three hundredths percent of the people in the U.S. are transgender. Fifty percent of trans people have been abused by a romantic partner. Sixty-two percent of transgender people suffer from depression. Support from friends, family, and loved ones is extremely important. Seventy-eight percent of transgender people have improved psychological function after gender reassignment surgery. Information and support is out there. 
gender identity is who they are, not what society labels them. very straight to the point. We'll dig more into the terminologies later. But right now, there's a specific area where I want to park for a minute. I'm going to um, ask the ladies a question, and I want them to really just dig in and give me their authentic answers, and I'm sure they will. Um, we are fighting as trans women or women of trans experience to show diversity and teach that there is no one person to represent the community. And it is important that we are all that we all self-identify. Even though there's high-profile transgendered women and men that society mandates that um, or they are put on a focal point and they are forced to be representatives for the whole community. And your response, and your response, how do you feel about the public trans figures and their representation of what our trans looks like? Okay, maybe one. Is that just open to anyone? Yeah, it's open. We can just dive in. Okay, um, so this is Jade, and I think um, you hit the nail on the head when you mentioned that um, everyone self-identifies, so everyone's level of visibility and what they do with that visibility is different. So, you know, we've seen some that are very vocal. We've seen some that are not as vocal to the, to the public eye, um, and there's some that, we may not see uh, very much at all. Um, but what I've come to realize is that because we don't necessarily see it with our eyes, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're not doing anything or that they're not um, advocating or they're not being a voice uh, because there's a lot that can be done sometimes in silence or there's a lot that can be done sometimes not on the forefront. Uh, and I think that, that because they are high profile and they are very visible, that the expectation for them is set a lot higher. Um, and essentially, they're, they're regular people. Uh, so I think that is that expectation that a lot of people, and myself you know, included sometimes, I feel as though um, because you have this platform that you should be utilizing it to the betterment of all people, the betterment of your, your trans sisters and things of that nature. But how, however, it's not, everyone doesn't do um, that the same way. So I think, like you said, when you um, mentioned self-identifying and kind of identifying what your journey or what you do looks like for you, um, that's the that's the most important thing, I think. Um, very well put, Jay. That, that's the way I feel because a lot of times we have people that are fighting for the changes that are being made that make it, that make it possible for us to go through life and navigate through life daily and do the things that we some, sometimes take for granted. And it's not always the people that's on the forefront that's getting those things done. You know, I always tell the girls that, you know, we have to be mindful of everybody's place because we don't know how we are impacting or affecting other people. This girl has a platform on television, but when we look at it, our families and the people close to us don't get the opportunity to be next to the girls on television. So the representation of the trans person that they will see would, would be the representation of what we give them. So we have to be cognizant that we'll put into that role when we encounter people. So we are now 
indicating or dictating to them what trans is or what it should look like because they are seeing a person that lives that or walked that experience and they are learning from you. So we are that mm-hmm. we are that teaching and training module. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I um I wholeheartedly agree. And um I guess for me I think with um most most people who are being you know, with trans visibility there also comes this double edged sword. And I am a, a a strong proponent and advocate for organizations like uh GLAD, you know, and stuff like that that are these watchdog groups that when we're publicized in the media and with that attention, sometimes it, it often comes unwarranted attention. And sometimes these these ladies and trans men are thrust into being, um, I guess, leaders or spokespersons for the entire trans community. And I was posed this question the other day when speaking with the CEO of my organization, and I had to basically tell him that although I am a trans woman of color, I don't speak for every trans person of mm-hmm. color because my experience of trans is not necessarily Toya's experience or Tara Lynn's experience or Jay's totally experience nice. and, you know, and on and on. So each of our trans experiences are unique for our to our own self. And with that being said, there are issues that, someone else may not have necessarily went through or had to struggle through being trans. So I think that some people have to be cognizant of when they are thrust into these platforms that they are aware of and make it vocal that I don't speak for everyone. You know, although Mm -hmm. I can speak about my experience and what that means to be trans, I don't speak for everyone trans. And, I I mean, I, I, I love the fact that we're being thrust into social, you know, into um I'm sorry, mainstream media, but at the same token, like I said, I just think we have to be careful of what images we are projecting because there are some people in of cisgender experience, or I mean, of, of, who are cisgender, who will take from that, oh, this is how they all are, or this is what mm-hmm. they all want. Because even working in healthcare and particularly in human resources, there are certain things that I have been made aware of. There are people who are of trans experience who choose not to live those those that trans identity externally. And that was something that was new to me. And it's not to be confused with people who are intersex. It is just people who are trans, who don't self-identify, I mean, as trans, but they choose not to live their lives externally. And so, like yeah. I said, we just have to be, like you were saying, uh, Ebony, that a lot of times when we speak and when we're being vocal about certain things, we have to be cognizant of what, what images we are projecting. Not to say that you have to censure yourself because you should be true to yourself, but at the same token, just always say to yourself, how is this going to look to someone else? Yeah, I'm going to let Micah dive more into that terminology piece and and the language that's surrounding our community in a minute. But um, I would like to get Auntie Terry's um feedback on that particular question at hand, because I know during that time when I was younger, the ladies were elevated to a platform um, back then. They didn't have social media, but you had the Murray the Murray show and Donahue, and you had the ladies mm-hmm. that were um, icons during that time, and they were thrust on that platform, And but it was in a different, the tone was different. So um, how do you feel, um, Auntie Terry, about that? Well, actually, it was a very different time because when we were on Donahue, they did advertise and project us as 
the world's most beautiful men or, you know, mm-hmm. to put you in our lineup with all these beautiful women, you know, can you pick who's a man and who's a woman, you know. And that was very difficult, you know, even though I was on those shows, you know. And when I worked in different clubs and they billed me as Mr., you know, that was very hurtful to me, you know. But no one could understand when I tried to explain to them, you know, I don't like that, you know. And and I just could not explain it, you know. And it was a very, very difficult time. And, and it still is a difficult time because, my experiences are totally different from each and every one. But then there was a comment united because when I first started out, like I said, after I finished, you know, couldn't teach school anymore and then I was making my transition, I had to resort to working the streets, you know. So my experience does not match Caitlyn Jenner's experience, you know. When I was taking the hormone therapy, I was taking all that stuff underneath the table. So total different experience from her. So... And trying to present that to someone else, you know, they they just never could understand where I was coming from at that time in my life, if that makes any sense. Well, that's interesting you brought up Caitlin. That was the perfect segue into my next question. It is about Caitlin. What are your true feelings behind her newfound life as a trans woman? And is she doing more harm than good to the community? And if she is, what can she do differently going forward. Is that just for everyone? Um, um, yes, you you spoke, you brought it up, but I do want everyone <laughs> to answer. But you you actually introduced her into the space, and that was my next move. So I want you to just talk right there for a minute, and you expound on well, that. When I, okay, I know when, that I, when she first came out, and she was you know all in the public's eye, I was very angry. You know, because I would say, how dare she? You know, it seemed like she just made it so easy, her transition, you know, when she had no idea what it's like to be walking down the hall and being punched in the head or, you know, you know, kicked upon or, you know, all those kind of stuff, having to run home, you know. And how dare she, you know, make it seem so easy when, no, sweetie, it was not that easy. At least it wasn't for me, you know, but that was her experience. So I had to reel myself back because her experience totally different from mine. And I and before the, the um other ladies chime in, I I wanna let you know that I'm gonna read a little piece from her from her book of which I've read back in May. Um so just keep that in mind because I, I want you I want I, it's not even the ladies, I want anyone that listens to this particular um the show that they kinda get an understanding because Ebony one you know, Ebony Toya, however you want to address her because <laughs> I told her she's gonna have two names. Is that, that that we've had a, we've had a deep conversation about this topic about this particular person and meet someone being on the outside you know being in within the LGBTQ you know spectrum but of course still being on the outside because I'm not of trans experience you know I have my own thoughts and reservations and, and things so for me I needed to go read her book I needed to understand you know before I go out and make you know assumptions and things of that nature. So I'll read something from her from her book in a second. But thank you, uh, Tara Lynn and, and then Jade or uh, Tatiana, you can go ahead and respond to Ebony's question. So um, this is Jade. And the thing, I, and I I respect everyone's um, transition, uh, as we've said several times, as, as has been said several times um, on this, this um, show, 
that everyone's experience is different. You know, no one person speaks for the whole. Um, and what I feel as though is that there there has not been enough uh, information that has come from her that has said, you know, this is my personal experience, this is what I have experienced, and, um, you know, there hasn't, to me, there hasn't been enough homage that has been paid to people that paved the way for you to be able to even do what you're doing. Um, and I, I, I try not to give her too much space in the things that I do because we have some real problems that we're trying to conquer and some real issues that we're trying to fight um, as it relates to justice and as it relates to rights and just basic human rights as a woman of trans experience, as a black woman of trans experience. And I feel like sometimes she doesn't necessarily speak when she should and she doesn't necessarily be quiet when she should. Um, So it's just... There are several issues that I have with her. Once again, I do respect her. <laughs> I do respect her for her, her transition, and I respect mm-hmm. the woman that she is. However, I try to limit the space that I give to talking about her. And um, she has a, a platform that, you know, people talk about her all the time. You know, there's a magazine article. There's a cover. Um, and I, I try to give my space to problems that my community is facing, um, my other my other black trans sisters, my other people of color, uh, trans sisters and brothers that are going through some real some real issues. So um, that's just my personal experience. So that's me. I respect and for me, I, And for me, it's Tatiana. And for me, um, both Abby and I, when it first was uh, publicized, we had, like you, Micah, her and I shared deep conversations about this and the attention that surrounded it. And I have always been a person who supported her, not mm-hmm. in the conventional sense of championing everything that she has done, but mm-hmm. her decision to transition and understanding what that looked like. And mm-hmm. I have always said it, and even sometimes got into deep uh, deep arguments and, you know, with strong consternation about the fact that how could I accept that, that she decided to wait so long. And mm-hmm. for me, it was personal because when I first transitioned, I had already um, enlisted into the military and was just coming home from basic training, and I decided to take, you know, made the choice to take hormone, start my hormonal therapy. And at that time, of course, being in the military and doing all the things that were counterintuitive to wanting to be transgender, it was, you know, and this was a different time, like Terry Lynn said, you know, this was back in the in the early 90s for me. So it was like, you know, I had, I could have taken two different roles. I could have went and been all you can be, you know, in the Army and just went ahead with that, started a family and lived the life that my mother wanted me to live. But as opposed to doing that, I chose to live, you know, to my true self. And I had to under like I had to try to make people understand with Caitlin that this person has come from a different time. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a totally different time where she probably had to, was forced literally because of her family, and you mm-hmm. know, and then mm-hmm. life happened, you know, to suppress mm-hmm. who she was. And then, uh, and then along the way of that, life happened. And I think the problem that most trans people have is the fact that she had children, she got married, but I guess even in our experiences, we have we are ignorant to the fact that gender identity and sexuality are two separate things. So mm-hmm. being a trans woman and being, you know, attracted to women, 
they are not, you know, so opposite from each other. Although with gen, because every and everybody has to understand, not every transgender person has gender identity disorder. Some people have gender dis, uh, have gender dys- dysphoria, and some people have gender identity disorder, and that's why the DSM is constantly changing to encompass all of these different, you know, things across the total the total diaspora. But um, and then like you, Micah, I had to learn more. Because when her show came on, I said, I'm going to watch it. And once she started to discuss her political views, I was like, I can't can't get behind that because I make no wrongs about it. I am a staunch liberal. So, yeah, but, I mean, it's unfortunate that she has been thrust into being the spokesperson for trans, you know, for everyone who has experienced trans, you know, trans, uh, trans identity. But I think, you know, the unfortunate part about that is that sometimes she just has this foot and mouth thing. But I enjoy the transvisibility factor because it has made inroads for us that some some of us may not have ever been afforded to be able to do. Right. I agree. Me and Micah talk about that all the time. And um, Micah's probably going to give some insight about the conversation (laughs) that we share about that. So, um, Micah. (laughs) Um, Well, well, um, something that Jade said resonated with me of, of not, you know, for her, it's not about, or she would rather not give a lot of attention or or, or space to um, to Caitlin, and totally understand that. Um, but for me, what I what I had an issue with with people was them coming down on this person who decided to transition, as Tatiana said, late, you know, so to speak. Um, but there is a reason for everything. There's a reason why we do everything, you know, and I knew that there was a reason why it took so long, and I think a conversation that we, meant, um, Ebony had was the fact that, you know, people thought that, oh, this is a fetish for her to, to, to dress up, you know, and then she kind of got into, and it, it, it was never that. And um, so I had to read the book, and, I, you know, people who would like to read the book out there, I encourage you to do so. Um, but this is something that I, I think I sent it to Ebony that I want to read really quickly. But, Tatiana, mm-hmm. if, you act, if, if you actually um, watch the show, like you said, and you watch, you know, for I don't know how long did you watch both seasons or not, but there was a, a, a time when she went to Chicago and she visited the Baton Show Lounge and she spoke and all this kind of stuff, and someone came outside and they were blaring a horn and they were yelling things. To her, and I think they happened to they were African American. But she says in the in, in the book, a handheld microphone blares in the cold of the windy city outside of the Chicago Hilton Hotel, and I am finished. The words are sharp and angry, and this, the person is saying, "We don't get jobs. We don't get any money. It isn't all fun and games. You don't care about the real trans women of America. You get those awards and dress up, but you have no idea what it's really like. We don't need you. We don't want you. You don't speak for us. We didn't ask for your help." Do you have any idea of what is happening out here? You have no right to represent us. You are an insult. You are an rich white woman. We have been assaulted by police. We have been assaulted by John. We have been violated. We have been violated by the system. How many 65-year-old white women get killed? And so Caitlin says, I've heard variations on these things so many times, but it has become a mantra. I don't represent the community. I'm an insult to the trans community. I'm a clueless rich white woman. I don't know what it I don't know what to do but say it again and again and again. I have worked hard. 
I have been successful. Yes, I am white and privileged, and yes, I am a trans woman. I am not trying to act as if I'm the Mother Teresa of the transgender community, but I'm trying to learn as much as I can, as quickly as I can. I'm meeting other trans women and trans men and parents of teenagers whose children transitioned and were mercifully bullied for it and daughters whose fathers were too afraid to express their true selves and talking with them and using my show as a worldwide platform. But, yes, talk is sometimes cheap. So I continue to raise money for the trans community because I have the platform to do so, working with corporations with a global presence. I am currently working with MAC to sell a lipstick, which, of course, we all know did come out, online under my name called Finally Free. 100% of the proceeds go to the MAC Transgender Initiative. So far, we've raised $1.3 million that has been distributed to organizations working on, on the behalf of transgender women and men all over the world. I deserve no pat on the back. All of us can do things large and small. We must remain united and strong to fight and make change. I believe I know where the protest is coming from. I believe I know they, who they represent, at least partially, African-American trans women who are turned down for jobs because of prejudice and are forced to work the streets as sex workers to make a living and often jeopardize their lives. I know the tragic syndrome that too often exists and is little spoken of. A trans woman has sex with a John. Words of hate get out in the community that John Sapoli just had sex with a guy who thinks he is a woman but still has a penis, so it is perceived as an act of homosexuality, teasing and ridicule follows. And then she goes on to say, I know that as I speak in November, there have been a record 22 killings so far this year of transgender or gender nonconforming people, all but three of which there were black or, with the lack thereof, black or Latinos. And then she goes on and she says, can I identify with these victims or any other victim of violence? Of course not. Can I feel horrible for them and pain for them? Yes. Have I talked to those who have been victims? Yes. Do I, do I believe that more has to be done to label these acts of violence as hate crimes? Yes. Am I concerned that police may have a bias against transgender women who work the streets? Yes. Do we have to fight through prejudice to help our trans women get jobs? Yes. Should we stop the bullshit and make it effort, effortlessly easy in every state for a transgender woman or man to get their gender marker changed on official forms such as birth certificates and driver's license so there's um, absolutely no question of which, what gender they are when they apply for jobs? Yes. I absolutely have no malice toward the protester with the, mega, the megaphone. I want to talk to her. I want to hear her story. I want to know more about what I could and should do. And then she, you know, goes on after that. But I thought that was – you know, people will have their own thoughts about that, you know. But I, I thought it was it was something that people needed to know, you know, because um, so many people have vilified her for whatever their reasons may be. And even this person came out and, and was saying, all, and I get the dressing up. I get that. I get the dressing up, doing speeches or whatever. So my thing was this. If you're going to do all that, and I'm sure you ladies will agree, you have to this has to be some type of action behind it. You can't just get all dressed up and dolled up and pretty for the cameras and for the, the, the people of the audience of whatever you're speaking, you know, whatever audience you're speaking to, and not actually put some action behind the words that are coming out of your mouth. So I can appreciate the things that she is doing, and I can appreciate that she is that she knows that there's so much more that she does not know. It's so much more that she has to learn and that she does need to keep her mouth shut at times because She's, you know, speaking ignorantly out of her mouth. So I wanted to just share that little piece. And if you guys want to, you know, piggyback on all that or you want to say something, sure. But I, I, I wanted to, you know, have that quick discussion. I mean, since we're talking about Caitlin, um, 
I want to now um, attack um, some of the misconceptions that exist within the community. Not even not just the ones that since her presence has came or since she has been involved with the whole trans movement. Some of the misconceptions in the community. Um, what are some of the misconceptions, and how do they affect us? Any one of you ladies can answer. Say, say that again. I'm sorry. What are some of the misconceptions that we have to deal with as we navigate through life as trans women, and how do they affect us? Um, so I feel, and this is Jade. I'm sorry. I just I'm used to saying, you know, and this is Jade. Um, <laughs> I think I think one of the misconceptions um, that, and this is my personal experience that I, I have found to be prevalent. Uh, is as it relates to how people um, tend to identify us. Um, There tends to be a real strong need to label us in some way, shape, or form, not for our own personal reasons, but for validation from another, from a third party. So um, I'm going to give you an example. Um, If there is a, a person that finds you attractive and they know that you identify as being trans, they're wanting to put a label on what what does that make that person? What does that make that person? Does that make that person, you know, a person that's attracted to a trans person? Does that make that person, you know, a heterosexual man? Does that make that person, you know, something else? And the misconception is that it, it, it makes you somebody different than who you are. You are who you are. Um, it doesn't change the fact that you're attracted to a person of trans experience. Um, it, it's just, it is what it is. There's no specific label that you need to put on someone um, because of how you feel. And I think we've become so um, geared towards wanting to classify everything in life that we, we miss the mark. We miss people being people. We miss the fact that, you know, everyone that's on this call has a beating heart. You know, we, we are so much more alike than we are different. And if we just look at the person, look at the person's heart, look at their intentions, look at the person and stop trying to, to label us and to create us into these things, and it's it's almost like we're 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 so far from being people uh, because of there's so many different labels that that we try to put everyone in or boxes that we try to put everyone in. So that's one of the biggest issues that I have um, is combating different labels. You know, everyone wants to label you as something, um, and it's just. And there and are so many labels that... out there. I'm sorry, there are so many labels no. out there. I am confused with all these different labels that they're placing right. on us. You know, and where are they coming from? You know, where are they stemming from, you know, to put us in those type of labels to make us aware? Yeah, we're going to get into that piece, Auntie. Um, I'm I'm sorry. um, (laughs) I'm going to get Micah to get more in detail about the um, where where do the um, letters come from and what do they mean that's attached now to the umbrella, the trans umbrella. But um, one of the larger misconceptions that I have a problem with is now that, we have no filter or we have no sense of uh, we have no sense of self. We keep nothing for ourselves anymore. Our whole transitional process is now demoted. Um, yes, I did seek a physician to do a thing, but that physician is not responsible for me. 
you know. And I think now that um, with social media and YouTube and things of that nature, it's like we are now, our, our whole transitional progress, progressional period is downgraded and is given totally to the hands of a physician or your doctor did a wonderful job. That's one of the things that grinds my gears. It irks me. You know, a doctor didn't do that. I had enough faith and power in myself. And it's like they're taking the power that and my belief and my faith that I had in myself and giving it to someone else. And that's one of the things that bother me. Or one of the things, one of the other things is that when I meet someone and a person doesn't know, I don't reveal my gender in that moment because it's not your business. I don't feel as though we're going to get to that point where that part of me will even be a beneficial, will be a benefit to you. Um, men who truly believe that, we wake up every day with the intentions on praying, on praying on them and tricking them. Those are two of the misconceptions that I really have a problem with. Mm-hmm. I really have a problem with those, with those two misconceptions in particular. Um, me and Tati always laugh about that and um, about 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 how self-centered people are. It's like once you accept who you are, your life is no longer your own. You are now. You now have to be. You now have to be um, put in available to the critiques and the criticism of everybody. Your life is no longer your own, you know, and you have to subject yourself to all of this because you have accepted to be who you are. And it's almost like they look, they view you as less than. And every day they want you to work up and live up to a standard or of acceptance for them. And it's even more prevalent now in our own community. Tati, I know you have something to say about this because we always talk about it. <laughs> I think the biggest misconception for me has been um, that my whole in, – in for when I hear this from men and they say, you know, they think that our transition is simply for sexual, you know, for sexual reasons. Oh, you did that to trick guys and have sex. And I'm like, so I went through all these years of – being ostracized and ridiculed and, you know what I'm saying, just simply have sex with someone. And, you know, that really, really, really bothers me. And and then to hear from cisgendered women who say, oh, y'all be tricking, y'all be tricking the men. And I'm like, or the ones who come up to you and say, oh, you would fool somebody. And I'm like, where where did this come from that you would think that my entire existence is about deception? I can't, and I always say to people, I cannot control your perception of me. I know who I am, I know what I was born, and I know the being that I have embodied and brought to fruition that has lived internally in me for life. And so my existence is not to trick you or to fool you, you know, but, and like Jay was saying, I think the point that most people miss that at the end of the day, we are human beings. And I think that sometimes people just get out of the fact of not getting, wanting, or wanting to know who people are. And even like in my professional role at my, at the organization that I'm working for, you know, with diversity and inclusion, it comes the fact of learning how to better develop interpersonal relationships. And I think that is so lacking in today's society, people learning how just to get to know other people. Micah, we have been dancing around it. 
and everybody wants to address the <laughs> elephant in the room. Where do these letters come from that's attached to us now that we don't want to accept, that we don't identify with? Why are they here, honey? Why okay. are they here? So, so the LGBTQIA, <laughs> that whole spectrum. Um, yeah, because let me tell you, like, before I, I was, you know, getting ready for the show or whatever, like, I always said LGBTQ. And so what you said irked my nerves is, like, when people are, are on Facebook or they're, you know, um, having a conversation or whatever, or they're at a pageant, they're saying, oh, this – this um, agency, they're part of the LGBT, and I'm like, okay, there's some more letters, and I'm going to welcome as many letters as, as they have. Um, so now it's LGBTQIA, um, and so I'm going to break down those letters really quickly, and then I also want to break down what certain things mean, and I'm going to do it as quickly as I can. Um, so I'll start with what is LGBTQIA. The L is for lesbian. The G is for gay. The B is for bisexual. I don't really think that we have to break those three down. Um, the, the next one is T. T is for transgender, um, which, is, which is an acceptable label for anyone who does not identify as the gender they were assigned at birth, hence from the audio that we played earlier. Um, queer, and that's another one I have to research a little bit more on, but queer or questioning, the Q, that's what the Q stands for, queer or questioning, that's what it, you know, that stands for. And I'll probably figure out what, <laughs> what queer really means, because queer is not what we thought it was. Um, intersex, um, that's one that's been floating out. Intersex, it's, um, now this one is, is really controversial, because um, some intersex people do not wish to be considered LGBTQ. Um, so when a person is born with a, well, intersex is basically a per, when a person is born with a reproductive or sexual anatomy that doesn't seem to fit the typical definitions of male or female. So that is what intersex is. Um, a um, is for asexual. So the asexual or um, and or aromantic spectrum includes sexuality, demisexuality. And, you know, I'll put this on the top with Mike and Friends Facebook page so you can do your own research. But, you know, each one just really digs. There's many layers to each um, to each letter. And then also, you know, now in the, in, the, in the forefront are things such as, you know, gender identity and gender expression and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, you know, I think me and Ebony had a conversation last night that the fact that, you know, you're now seeing where um, there are, you know, I don't want to use the word butch queen, but there are seemingly gay men that have, you know, that probably, you know, deal with, you know, other gay men that also like to um, or also are attracted to those of trans experience, but that being a trans man. Um, and then you also see ones that are with trans women, or you may see two trans women together, or you may see um, two trans men together, and what I hate is how people, and I, and I, I use that word, you know, loosely because I don't really like to use the word hate, but what I do hate is that the p people are judging, you know, people for who they love, and just as you are, you know, bisexual or lesbian or gay or transgender, you know, you shouldn't be judged for who you love and, and neither should they, um, but gender identity is, you know, either female, woman, girl, male, man, boy, or other genders. Gender expression is simply feminine, masculine, or other. I have not figured out what the other is. Um, I guess people that don't really, they don't really gravitate to one or the yeah, other. Gender non-conforming, yeah. Gender so, non -conforming. so that we gender non-conforming, okay. See, educate, yeah. educate me. 
Um, <laughs> uh, sex assigned at birth, you know, you're, you're, you're assigned at birth either female or male, you know, based upon your genitalia, or intersex, and we kind of broke that definition down a little bit. And then you have who you're physically attracted to. So you're either physically attracted to a woman, you're physically attracted to a man, um, other genders such as gender nonconforming, gender fluid, um, or you're just, uh, you know, attracted to just whoever. It doesn't matter if they're woman or man or intersex. You know, it's just whoever you, you your soul and, you know, whoever you're attracted to, that's, that's what that is. And then there's, there's an emotional attraction. So there's, you can be emotionally attracted to a woman. You can be emotionally attracted to a man. You can be emotionally attracted to other genders, gender fluid, gender nonconforming. So I wanted to quickly break those things down, but I really um, challenge people out there that are listening or that will listen later on is to really do your research and to really dig deep because um, when I went to the 2014 Trans Health Conference in Philadelphia, I went there solely to support Ebony uh, Toya, and I went there and she put me on the spot, and I didn't like that, <laughs> you know, it, it, it is what it is, but what, I, I still have the book to this day, and I was going to dig in my closet and get the book, there's a little booklet, but there's so, there were, they had so many different classes, and what I really appreciate is that, you know, I couldn't go to all the, if I wanted to sit in, I couldn't, like, I, I literally had to identify with a, you know, that specific group, um, but I challenge, and I implore, and I just, promote that. I think this year it's going to be later on in the year. I don't know if it's October or yeah, September. September the 7th through the 9th. Okay. September the 7th through the 9th in okay. Philadelphia. So if I can make it right at the Continental, I definitely would like to go to one, to at least, you know, one day and especially now that I live in New Jersey, it's right up the, you know, an hour and 15 minutes away from me. Um, but if you can, definitely go. But, you know, I'm not trying to be funny or anything of that nature, but when I went there, that's when it sparked, like, because you, cause coming from the south and coming from a certain area, you're only used to what you're used to. You only know what you're, what you're around. So if I've only mm-hmm. seen trans women, if I've only seen trans men, if I've only seen lesbians, if I've only seen gay men, and, and then, of course, the heterosexual, that's all that I know. I don't know the other sections. I don't know what else is out there. But when I went yeah. to, to, um, to this particular uh, conference and I'm just walking around and I'm seeing – like what? Okay, you you know like I, I you know it, I wasn't it's being very important. It's very yes. important that 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 you be that you experience it so you will get an understanding yes. because it takes you back because you have like you named there's gender queer people they mm-hmm. don't identify with or her they mm-hmm. want to be identified or they or them or right. we if it's a collection of them so they they have totally erased all of the lab, all of the binaries that exist they want to fall under the binary because they don't feel as though those labels will encompass them in their truth and if that person believes that we should respect that and i don't i don't think i would have got that understanding on that level of understanding enough to respect them if i had not experienced that i open my mind to even know that individuals that that mindset do exist so it's very important that you experience and explore your community so we can become the modules and we can we can become the teachers so that what we learn in our community we can teach that to those outside of it. So we can erase and eradicate that that that, that, that level of hatred and, and that level of, of, of ignorance that exists that keeps us binded. Um I wanna get into the other piece now, Micah, about um, the other video that we had about um, okay, one of the things that's real um, prevalent now, we're seeing a lot of videos and we're, we're talking now a lot about how 
the women are being treated while they're incarcerated or when they're detained by the police. And hopefully Samaya um, is able to call in before that. So this is a very key part for her. But if you could, Michael, could you insert that audio? Yes, I can. And um, this young lady, she's going to be speaking, but she's also going to, you're probably going to hear like certain, um, hold on one second. You're, you're going to hear um, her singing as well because she's an artist. Um, so I, I call this a message of trans hope. So let me play this. I'm Shia Diamond. I'm a recording artist. I'm an activist. And I also happen to be a woman of trans experience. I Am Her is about my experience. It's about being an outcast. It's about being rejected. It's about feeling alone. I became aware that I was different. I was diagnosed with gender identity dysphoria. I was willing to do whatever it took in order to be a woman. In my head, what I needed to do urgently was have gender reassignment surgery. I didn't have the resources to have such an expensive surgery. I committed an armed robbery. I was a complete amateur. I got caught right away. I ended up doing 10 years in a men's prison. The level of harassment that you experience in prison, being trans is like no other. You're being sexually harassed, sexually assaulted. When I was in prison, I began to write songs that gave me the ability to be able to say things I would never be able to say in a million years. My music isn't just about music. It's about getting a message out there, a message of understanding, a message of hope. I became an activist because I had no other choice. Too many women of trans experience were being harassed, were being assaulted, were being killed. Trans people deserve to be free from discrimination, from harassment, from assault, free to be themselves. If I had a message to give to my younger self, it would be to continue to fight. You have to fight to be yourself, and you have to fight to continue to have your rights. Okay, that was the end of the audio, Ebony. Okay, cool. Um, my next piece is, even though, and I'm well, going to pause here for a minute. Yeah, I was going to say something. No, she, she, ahead, I, don't know, I, don't, I don't know if you're going to say anything about this, but she, if you heard her, that she said something in, re, in reference to gender, um, dis, gender identity or gender dysphoria, and I don't think a lot of people understand what that is. Um, but gender dysphoria is a condition where a person experiences discomfort or distress because there's a mismatch between their biological sex and gender identity. Um, gender dysphoria is recognized is a recognized medical condition for which treatment is sometimes appropriate, 
but want to also make it clear that it is not a mental illness. You know, because some people say, oh, you know, with trans people, oh, that's a, that, that's something going on in their head that it's a mental illness. No, it's, it's not a mental illness. You know, we want to definitely put that out there. But I also wanted to let people know what the what the definition of gender dysphoria or gender gender, uh, gender identity dysphoria um, was. Thank you, Micah. Um, that's a question a lot of people ask, what is it? So all of those definitions and those terms are going to be useful in our everyday lives, even when we're using them to teach other people, because we have to teach people how to treat us. Um, and at this time, I just want to celebrate the community, um, because a lot of times people say that we're not progressive and we're not supportive, but even though the unfortunate situations of abuse, be it verbal, physical violence, and often, and too often, that plagues our trans community. I would like to take this time to say that I'm extremely proud and happy for the support that has been displayed for the community, for our ladies, um, such as Cece McDonald from Seattle, who was attacked by the police and wrongfully incarcerated for defending herself, how the community band together to get her. Um, um, the unfortunate death of um, one of the ladies who were close to me, China, who's my niece, how the community is still coming together to make sure that justice is sought for her. And lastly, um, the beating of Erica King while she's incarcerated. Um, a lot of these changes are being made because of the widespread effect that the community is now um, exercising, and, and, and they're actually putting their time into being accountable for one another, and I think that's amazing. And I just want to celebrate the community for being progressive with that. And with that being said, I want to move into my next question. We see that when something happens in our community, we don't get the support or the spread of the Rainbow Coalition or the Black Lives Matter organization. <clears throat> this is a hard one for me. The Black Lives Matter organization or cause, do we exist in the Black Lives Matter or do our lives matter when it comes to that? Or what can we do? to change anything, or what do you think we can do to raise our visibility with the Black Lives Matter cause, if our lives matter at all, to the Black Lives Matter? Did you ladies understand the question, or do I need to? Wow, that's a deep one. That's a deep one. Um... <laughs> yeah, Carolyn, go ahead. I haven't heard you in a minute. <laughs> that's a deep one. That's a deep one for me because, you know, I had to get an understanding what Black Lives Matter means. It's like mm -hmm. when you have these bones in your body and all your bones are working together and all of a sudden you break one bone. That bone that is broken at that time is the bone that requires the most attention that needs to be fixing or needs to be mm -hmm. fixed rather. Mm -hmm. So that's how I relate to the black lives and trans lives matter at this present time. The trans lives community is a broken part. It needs our attention. And people say all lives matter. All our bones matter. But that bone that is aching or causing you pain, that's the one you're going to seek to get help for. Mm -hmm. I like that. That was well put, Auntie. Love that analogy. Jade. Love it. I think Jade, Jade um, she had to take it and she had to do something really, really important. So she's going to be back with us. Okay. Um, yeah. Um. Auntie. <laughs> This is something that I have um, a real pr 
problem with um with the i i embrace the black lives matters movement in and of itself and the mobilization of our people um but and i say a strong but black lives matter up until the point that you say that you are transgender or part of the lgbtq community and i strongly and firmly believe that um and i'll give you just my personal experience because um, when I first started working for the organization that I'm with, and uh, in my capacity is also community engagement. And so my uh, vice president of human resource and diversity and inclusion had told me to reach out to the Chicago chapter of Black Lives Matter. Um, and I, re- I you know, searched their Internet, their web page and their Facebook page, and I had submitted an email to them and told them that I would like to become involved and the reasons why, because of the senseless killings of black trans women and the ones here in Chicago and the police brutality that are experienced by, um, you know, trans women and the misgendering, and even right now today. Like looking at uh, my Twitter feed, and they have this guy who does this. Um, he is listening to the police scanners, and just some of the disparaging comments that police make over live radio about oh, wow. trans women. The dispatchers, oh, the he she's are standing out there on Halsted again, and people sit back and they snicker at that. But you know, these are things that are real life issues, and so I firmly believe that the movement in court, and, and I think it's foolish for people to say. All lives matter when you know when or not foolish to say, but I think that when they say that, they don't necessarily mean that because, like I mm-hmm. said, up until a point, you know they feel like this is a choice that you've made, this is the lifestyle choice that you made, and this comes along with that, and I just i it burns me, I get so emotional and passionate about that and and even thinking that a person would choose to be ridiculed, to be chased down the streets of New Orleans and shot at, to be, you know what I'm saying, to be out in the streets of Chicago, to be killed like a dog. You know, and it, it bothers me because nobody, unless outside of our community, has joined. surrounds these issues. You know, nobody surrounds these issues. And unless, and like Ebony and I were talking about, and the sad part about that is, unless you are a pretty girl or a fishy girl or someone who's prominent in the community, then it's not publicized. Or it doesn't matter to, you know, everyone in the community. Let's all surround this. Let's find the killer. You know, it's it's sad that we, even in ourselves, we misgender and degrade and, you know, um, amongst ourselves with these people. And there's different classifications. Oh, child, yeah, girl, she was out there. She was tricking them boys. What do you mean? I don't care what mm-hmm. this person did to, you know, to get to that point in their life, but they did not deserve to they die like to that. They did not time. deserve to be cut down. That is somebody's child. That is somebody's family member. You know what I'm saying? And like I said, I just, I just firmly believe that black lives matter, all lives matter up until the point that you decide to say that you are a part of the LGBTQ community, and that's sad to me. That's sad to me. Yeah, I mean, you ladies summed up everything that um, someone just chimed in. I don't know, was that Jay? That Jay, did you come I don't. Someone chimed in. I think that was Caroline. Yeah. Caroline was saying. Oh, okay. So I heard the ding, and I was like, "Oh, somebody came back." <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think that was Jay. Okay. Yeah, that's an ongoing conversation that um, I have with people that are close to me, and. Um, and the situation with Erica really um, can you guys um, hear me? Affects. 
Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah, Jade. We hear you, Jade. Yeah. Okay. I'm <laughs> yeah. back. And the, the situation with Erica and um, trans women being incarcerated um, in the United States and abroad is really is is really um, a problem. And I do like the fact that now certain cities have band together um, to create. I know like here in Atlanta, there's this new thing called the Pre-Arrest Diversion Project. Um, and what it does, it was derived from Seattle. Um, Seattle had this thing where um, they're now not, they're, they're trying to decriminalize um, a, a low-level um, low level crime, so pretty much making them unarrestable. Um, if someone is shoplifting or if they look at the girls for doing anything for means of survival as opposed to arresting you for prostitution now if you're shoplifting or something low-level like that, they're now resorting to a way of where they want to reform you. So there's a system set up to where if the police um, detain you and they can look at you and it's obvious or they feel as though that you're doing something that's based off of your survival tactics or your survival skills or you're trying to just exist, they won't put you in jail, but they will link you to as they will link you to care or link you to service. And what that looks like is that they will have people that social workers or they will link you now to housing and, and jobs. Or they're making sure that you get the documentations you need so your so you so your um existence is legitimized so you will no longer have to rely on those those survival crimes that you once did because you didn't have the education that you needed. You didn't have your GED. They're linking you to programs to help you get those things so they can provide them. Seattle has the program, um, Albany, New York, and that's why when I heard about what happened with Erica, I reached out to um, a few people that I met in Albany, New York, because there is the LEAD program in Albany, New York, um, but depends on where you are arrested. Because it's not... State covered is only with cities, and we're trying to get it to a place where it's state mandated to where the girls will be protected, not just the girls, but when you're gender gender queer or part of the LGBTI community, or you suffer with mental illness, any of those things that are obvious where they can look at you and tell that jail won't be the option for you, that something else is needed, um, they're linking these people to care. And Atlanta just... Um, if they're, they're on the midst of unveiling their program, and that's why I had Samaya to be a part of the phone call because she is spearheading that program here in Atlanta, and that's really big for us in the trans community because she's a woman of trans experience herself, so she knows firsthand some of the situations that we face in everyday lives in our everyday lives because we lack some of the things that we need. And now they're trying to usher programs that's put in place to help us get those things so they can reduce the 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 um the prison the prison rating and, and reduce the, the the whole process of us being in and out of the system and reform us with not just the survival skills but giving us technical skills so we can live and our and our living and and our lives be legitimized. So I want to just um talk about that piece for a minute. I just want to share that with you guys, but also talk about some of the experiences that the ladies face when they're incarcerated, because that's a big part that nobody talks about. And like Tatiana said, if you're not a girl that's impacting the community, if you're not walking the balls, or if you're not prevalent on the ball scene, or if you're not prevalent in the pageantry scene, and you don't have a voice for yourself like that, who's going to speak for you? Um, if, 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 if Kelly wasn't able to speak for Erica, would she have got the help that she got? Would we have called out? Would we have called in the way that we did to assist her? 
and I and, and that's one of the things that really bother me that I feel like sometimes that you have to be uh one of those people in this community in order for your life to matter. And and, and um I I don't know. I, I maybe I can get somebody else's feedback let on me, that, but that's genuinely how I feel. Let me ask you, um uh, uh Ebony oh. what what has it has there been any like what's the update in regards to Erica? Is there do, do we know if there's been an update as well, last, last I heard um last I heard that she went to she was a she was housed in Franklin County and she's no longer there. She went to court in another county in New York and they said they was not letting her go back to Franklin County because that's where the that's where the beating and that's where the crime happened and that's where the beating took place so they weren't gonna let her go back there. They were not allowing her to have visitation. So they end up letting Kelly come because Kelly called and kept calling. Kelly is her um is her mom. Kelly kept right. calling and kept calling, and um they allowed they allowed Kelly to see her, and that's not the not Franklin County, but the trend the um the satellite camp where she went where they were housing her so she can go to court. They made it possible for Kelly to see her. So um they're in the process of making sure that she does not have to go back to Franklin County, and I think they have um other people that's um looking into that. Case um, Todd may know more about that because she um, talks to. Yeah. Yeah, they have her currently on what they call keep lock status, and although it's not technically solitary confinement, she's still confined to her room 23 hours a day and only allowed out one hour a day. But she is not um, in no longer in Franklin Correctional uh, Facility, but they're also keeping her on keep lock until July 29th because of basically a reta- in retaliation for, you know, bringing or filing charges against the officer. So it's basically still they're penalizing her for something that happened to her and essentially mm-hmm. trying to make it seem like, oh, well, she's not be- these are not punitive and stuff like that. But it, it's all, it's this sick game that they play. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, yeah, I didn't know that. I didn't get that update. Why yeah. I didn't get that. So Yeah, and they have a they have a right. page on Instagram for like the updates. It's called Justice for Erica E E Y R I C K A. Say say that again, spell that again for me. It's a um it's an Instagram page and it's called Justice for Erica and it's all together. E Y R I C K A. Justice for Erica. Okay, got it. Thank you. Um mm-hmm. so, so my here's my question, like, so with society, government, you know, they, they they recognize now, you know, a trans woman can, you know, be labeled or deemed or however you want to say it um, officially as being gender marker being female. Um, so my question is when a trans woman – and we could say trans men, but I'm, I'm specifically just want to speak, since we're talking about Erica, when a trans woman walks in or goes into or is walked in to a facility, that being a detention center, prison, jail, whatever the case may be, what um, what is the process that, that puts them there as far as putting a trans woman in an environment where there's all men? Why is she not, you know, rope, you know, put off somewhere to the side or in a different type of population? Like, is it is it the 
does the gender marker matter going in and not necessarily what you identify as? Like, like how does that process work for them to say, oh, I don't, you know, I don't care. Like, you're going here. You're, you're, you're a man. If that's what if that's um, how they, they don't care it. about the uh, in that in, in in that situation <laughs> they don't care about no gender marker. No ma'am. No. So even if your I, so if your so if your ID says female, you have hey. everything changed. You have everything changed. Everything that you possibly can. You're telling me that that I'm still going to be thrown with the men. Oh no, no, they're not going. They're not going to put you in male population with um with if if you're postdoc. No, they're not going to do that. But um, all of that other stuff, no, uh, they're not hearing none okay. of that. Your name can be legally changed. Birthdays, <laughs> <laughs> everything changed. Baby. And the they, way they, the way they feel mm-hmm. is that you were born, and I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not one of those people who like to uh, get on platforms and try to seem holier than that. I have a past, and I have been incarcerated. Um, and they feel, though, and I've literally had them to tell me this, if you were born with a, for lack of better word, and I'm, I'm just going to say, if you were born with a penis, mm-hmm. you, are, you are classified as a male. I don't care mm-hmm. that you have breasts. I don't care that you had augmentation. Mm-hmm. I don't care that you've had documents changed. That's where you will be housed. Now, on the flip side of that, they will tell you, oh, well, then I can't put you in a population with the men, so I'm going to put you in protective, cust- in protective custody. But what they mm-hmm. don't tell you is that that is still punitive. Because you are being, you are not being afforded the same rights and uh, privileges as the general population. Because you can't come out and call your family until your hour out is, you know, is uh, mm. it comes up. So mm-hmm. if your family, if your family members work during the daytime and you're only coming out one hour at six, seven o'clock in, in the morning, or you know, at six, seven at night, you know, with the people's work schedules, you're not being able to call your people the way you want to. So I mean, it's it's. And most of most of the prison systems are now start in some states are starting to go by and have panels where doctors and uh, psychologists sit on these uh, policy and procedure panels, and mm-hmm. they actually will take the person and evaluate them case by case because there are some people who have had orchiotomy or castration. And they literally cannot, because the fear in that is that they feel that we will interact with the females and have sex with them, and someone mm-hmm. comes up pregnant or whatever. So, but now they have they have people really? in gender committees. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. They have gender committees because there was actually a female who sued a prison system because she felt discriminated against or unfair because she felt like by them putting a man in there that put her in danger of being assaulted. Yeah. So it, it's crazy and, and sad to suffice it to say the Supreme Court has said that prison systems have that latitude because when you're in prison, they say you, don't, you are not entitled to certain rights and privileges, and that's just the way they, they view it. That's, that's kind of where my, my question lies. Um, when, you know, people are incarcerated and, and things of that nature, I'm all for people being safe and, you know, to hear what was going on and to hear what happened. It was very hurtful and it was very, you know, heart-wrenching just to, to even imagine having to go through something like that. Um, and then also the other end of that, where they're going to put you, you know, in a room by yourself, yes, you're protected, but then at the same token, you're, you know, cut off from everyone else and everything else. You know, a half uh, a half a dozen in one hand, 
has joined. It's like, it's like a half a dozen in one hand and another one in the other. So I, I really struggle with the whole there's an echo. Yeah, there's yeah. an echo. Hold on. Hold on you. So, ladies, there's an echo. I don't know if someone's, like, playing, you know, has their phone speakerphone or has a, a Bluetooth or some type of device, but now it's an echo. But I think Sanaya Turner joined, if I, if I heard correctly. Yeah. Hi, Sanaya. Hi. And um, you, you, came, you, you came in at the right time, so... <laughs> <laughs> yes, okay. I really, I really struggle with that, and you know, I challenge everyone that's on this call, and I challenge all the listeners to educate yourself more about your local um, officials and your mm-hmm. local um, ordinances as it relates to um, people that are incarcerated, and, you know, people of the community that are incarcerated, trying to find out their well-being. I heard you mention earlier, and I didn't have an opportunity to chime in. You know, if there if it's not someone that's that's known or there isn't someone that's a face of the community, sometimes you know there's a there's probably way more people that are suffering. Um, um, because they may not have any family, they don't have any way to get out to someone to say, hey, I need help, or hey, um, you know, this is what's happening. And I think you know, if we're going to rally for anyone, we need to rally for everyone. Um, and I think that's kind of uh, resonates with what you were mentioning earlier. Like if you're not, you know, one of the ballroom girls or you're not a face or you don't know or someone doesn't know who you are, then it sometimes falls by the wayside. And that's just from okay. my own perception or my own, you know, what I've seen so far. And it may not necessarily be, you know, the case. I can't speak for every situation. I can experience. And Samaya has joined us, and I think, Samaya, you came in at a very key part. We're talking about um, the ladies um, and how they're treated in prison, and I and I introduced to them some of the pilot programs that are being set in place that's trying to reduce um, to reduce that. So could you give us a little more insight on what um, career restoration is and how can it affect the community? Sure. Um, well, first, I'm, I'm thank you guys for your patience this evening. It's been one of those days. I do want to say that, um, so first I'm going to give you a little, um, have you given background on how it started? You can you can go ahead. You can go on. Okay. Okay, mm-hmm. excellent. Run it. So um, what actually, so Atlanta, there was, um, I want to say a few years ago, there was a, a group of wealthy residents in Midtown, and anybody that knows Atlanta knows that Midtown is a very LGBT-friendly area, supposedly. However, um, a group of wealthy residents got with some elected officials, and it really got legs where they were trying to have a banishment ordinance that would essentially banish certain people for certain crimes from certain parts of the city of Atlanta. So particularly in the Midtown area, which is the area where a lot of the uh, particularly trans women would be sex working and living and getting treatment for services or whatever, they really just did not want to see our presence in that particular area. The bigger issue, though, was 
this banishment ordinance would not just be just for trans people, but for any small, low-level offense that would um, that would essentially get regular poor people, people who are committing crimes of poverty, people who are you know, doing what they have to do to survive, and it would essentially banish them from the city. And so the fight for that was a very, very big fight. Um, a lot of community organizations came together. A lot of the leaders, including myself, um, we came together, and we really were trying to fight it. There were a lot of city council meetings. There were a lot of meetings with the mayor. But eventually um, a, a team was formed, a development team was formed to form what's called now the pre-arrest aversion program. What makes this program phenomenal and awesome and exciting is because, one, it's the first of its kind um, in the southeast. There is a program similar in Seattle. There's also a program similar in Albany, New York. But ours is still unique because, unlike a lot of programs, this program would essentially at the moment that someone has probable cause to be arrested for an offense that is nonviolent, so that includes, you know, drug offenses, that even includes, you know, carrying cocaine, whatever, the officer at that point can, um, because of this new law and this new initiative, the officer at that point would have a conversation with the individual and would, do an, and, and would find out what their needs were, what, why they're doing what they're doing. This is the first time that conversation between the actual person to be arrested and the officer has ever really been taking place in the way that it is now. So now the officers are being trained to ask the individual what their needs are, and they will essentially be diverted into services. And that's where my program comes in. It's called the Pre-Arrest Diversion Program. And so essentially at that moment, the officer, instead of arresting or even handcuffing the individual, would call my office. I am the operations and training coordinator um, at the Pre-Arrest Diversion Program, and they would call my office, and I would send out um, a social worker and a peer specialist to the scene. Social worker, of course, trained in a clinical background that will perform a needs assessment and connect the person to services. And a peer specialist, which is someone that looks like the person that is going through whatever it is, whether it be a trans person, if it's sex work, or we're trying to be very diverse in hiring those peer specialists, and we want them to come from these affected um, communities. Anyway, they meet at the scene, and at that point the officer leaves, and the person is then taken to housing or taken wherever they need to go and given an appointment to come into my office, and then what, at, from that point, they would, be, they would be diverted to services. The arrest would never exist. The charge would never exist, and the person could then get the services that they actually need. We realized that the way the current model was set up, and because of this banishment ordinance, that the criminal system is used to target specific groups of people, um, black people, poor people, LGBT folks, a myriad of different people. And so what this program does is before they even can get in the system, it takes them and addresses their actual real needs. And, and it's a really exciting thing for me because I've lived in Atlanta since 2003. And quite frankly, to say that this is the birthplace of Martin, of Martin, birthplace of Martin Luther King, this is where 
you know, a lot. This is a city that burned from ashes and, and had, to, had to rebuild itself. It was amazing that I, we were so hard on crime. But now because of the efforts of trans, black trans women, we now have this program, and it is launching next month um, on the 8th of August. And from then forward, in downtown and midtown Atlanta, if you get arrested, you can ask to be diverted to services, even if the officer doesn't offer it to you, and now you don't have to go to jail. And I'm excited about that, and I think I, it may, maybe it was fortuitous that I called in at this particular point because I really think that this will reduce the rates of recidivism. This will, do, this will keep our girls, keep our community from being in that criminal system that's denying them access to medical care, that's denying them access to the things that they need. And so I just feel so proud and privileged to be a part of this grassroots effort. I was there from the very beginning, and now to be hired on by the city in a job that is a dream job for me is a blessing and a dream come true. So change is a coming, but the unfortunate part about it, and I think this speaks to what, I don't know who was speaking last, the last person who spoke, but what, if the word is not getting out because the, people, the gatekeepers in our community, the community girls, I mean, the, the ball kids, the, the house mothers, the people that actually have the voices and influence are not aware of the program. And so we're doing a lot more to reaching out to those communities. And I'm grateful for my sister Toya and this platform and what she's done with her own platform because it does – this is going to change things, guys, and this is a big deal. Well, That's I absolutely amazing. That's also okay. awesome. <laughs> yeah, most definitely. Kudos to you, and I'm so glad, somebody, that you're you're out there in the trenches, so to speak, and, and you're getting things done. And I hope that, you know, other um, cities and states can, you know, really uh, attach to what um, you – guys are doing down there in Atlanta, a place I lived for 12 years. So um, I really, really appreciate that. And I really, um, I'm glad that you were able to jump on the call, even if it's just for a little bit, to be able to shed a little bit light on, on what you're actually um, doing down there in Atlanta. So we definitely appreciate you for that. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And, yes, it is a very attractive program, and we are already getting calls from around the country, particularly in the South, because mm -hmm. this is a, this is a, in the South we didn't even think something like this could happen. Right. And so mm -hmm. okay. hopefully this will spread like a wildfire, and hopefully, you know, yeah. this will be um, They are trying to implement, they're trying to implement a program um, as such in New Orleans. I mean, a while back when I was in this black universe, a lot of my friends were teasing me, but I was on the steps of City Hall and I was um, campaigning for this actual program here. I was campaigning yeah, sure. for a thing called Jobs Not Jail. So um, that's the program that I was campaign campaigning for, and it has come to fruition. And um, there are other cities that are that that want to do um, actually duplicates or replicas of it. So it's hopefully it can be a widespread um, um, system of success. And I thank you, Samaya, for um, being present and adding your experience and your knowledge and putting a face um, and giving us a voice in that area where it's needed. Um, I'm just a person who's blessed to be called and use the service, so thank you, Toya. You're welcome. Um, you are welcome. I, I want, because we, we only have about 10 minutes or so left, and you know, the conversation, I mean, and I already knew that this conversation was going to be really, really good, and of course, from this will stem other conversations, and then we will have to revisit, and that's something that I'm 
anxiously awaiting that we are able to allow people to listen to what we've already talked about, what we've already discussed, what we've already put out there, and then we, you know, let them do their homework, and then we really come back and we have an interactive session with um, with the cause. We have a, a lot of people listening. No one really has a, a question per se, but I really don't want to kind of get into the whole caller thing at this point only because we only have a limited amount of time left. But I, I, I want to say this and then kind of leave you all with this question, and then we'll close it. Um, if that's if that's fine, Ebony. I mean, we really don't have a choice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, 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 but um, I, I, I first want to say, you know, we, we talked about the, the, the trans murders, and we've talked about how, um, you know, the, the ladies that have passed on due to, you know, um, inexcusable violence, as Natasha said in the very beginning of the show when we honored those trans women, is that those ladies, those are the ones that are getting in the news, the ones that, you know, people know and, and people are getting behind them. In, in, in China, you know, who, I, who I've known for a very long time um, and was near and dear to my heart as many others, I mean, I was so happy to see the, the you know, the, the media and, and all the magazines, whether she was on the jet, her, you know, her article was in the jet, it was in Ebony, it was, you know, all over, Huffington Post, all that. And so that, all that stuff was great. The, the ceremony was great. Um, her celebration of life was, was wonderful. But I didn't want it to stop. And, and, you know, I still see every now and again just for China, just for China, and that's all wonderful. But my, my thing is this uh, to be a question to you all is, you know, why is it that even if, even in – you know, Mike Brown or, you know, in, in other cases like that where we'll see it for a while, for a minute, and then we stop, you know. And, and that's the thing that I, I don't want us to do. I don't want us as a community, whether you're the L, the B, the G, the T, the Q, whatever, I don't want you to stop, especially if this is in your heart. Us going and putting on Facebook, and this is my only, own little rant, but going on Facebook and saying justice for China, that's wonderful. You know, but you have to have some action behind it, as I said before. And I know for me, I can only speak for what I've done, you know, and I can only do but what I can do. But what I felt that I needed to do is I needed to write the news station there in New Orleans. I needed to write the, the, the mayor there. You know, I needed to write – I wrote about three people. I, I got, you know, a little something back from, from I think it was the mayor or something of New Orleans or whatever, or in the police department. You know, for them to keep at it, you know, to, for them to continue to, not only for her, but for also Sierra McElvin, who, who was murdered a, a few days after her, you know. And so it's like, what, what is it that we need to do as a community, you know, trans, bisexual, whatever, in the spectrum, period. What, if, what can we do or what do we need to do as a community to make sure that, that we're heard? Because obviously... Mm -hmm. Jane said it best. Jane said it best. We have to educate ourselves on mm -hmm. who are the officials in our area, our senators, mm -hmm. our Congress people. We have to make friends with those people that's able to make the change. Right. And we have to we have to we have to know who they are. Mm -hmm. So so we can go to those people with our questions and our concerns. If we don't know who exists, we don't know who can help us. So right. we have to familiarize ourselves with those people. The other element that I that I want, you know, and I said earlier, you know, I challenge everyone listening, I challenge everyone on the call to empower yourself, empower yourself to be a part of the change that you want to see in the world. I know we hear that phrase a lot, and we think, you know, well, what what can I do? You know, just I'm just one person. What is it? What change can I do that can really propel or perpetuate? 
some really some some needed conversations that need some some uh, conversations that need to be had. But also, uh, like uh, she just mentioned, education across the board. We all have our own life experiences. The wonderful thing about us being about us being different people is that we bring a different perspective to a lot of different things. So, uh, and plus, we're from all different parts of the um, all different parts of the country. So, our perspective on a bunch of different things that's going on is going to be different. So, it's mm-hmm. going to provide people with such a well-rounded understanding and um, a way to educate them in a way that th- that they might ne- might not necessarily have the opportunity to to get. Uh, so I think empowering ourselves, empowering one another to to really be that voice, to, you know, go out there and, and find the resources. Like she was mentioning um, a minute ago, I can't remember um, whom, but they were um, mentioning the different programs that the city is offering, uh, that the city will have uh, in place of, you know, arresting people and things of that nature. That's amazing. Um, and I'm going to do my due diligence and do the research and see, you know, what is Dallas doing uh, in relation to that? You know, what can we do to get to piggyback on that that policy? What do we need to do? Do we need a petition? Do we need to um, to, to connect with your liaison, um, your city official, to, to, to send us information? Do we need to get some type of confirmation? You know, it's those little things that we can do um, to, to make these really awesome changes that need to be there because we are all we have. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if we don't step up and take care of each other, that's, I mean, we're all we have. So I empower mm-hmm. everybody to, to do something. If it's making a phone call, like Micah said, writing a letter, calling someone to say, hey, you know, what is it that we can do? Get, a, get an accountability partner. Say, hey, you know what, I want to do this, that, and the other, and I want you to hold me accountable for that. It's a yeah, lot I easier. That. I love that. It's a lot easier to, to do something when you have somebody that's reminding you about it because you know, and I'm guilty of this, we will do, we will say we're going to do something, but if we're only holding ourselves accountable, sometimes it falls by the wayside. Life mm-hmm. happens. Mm-hmm. You know, we're all human. Get yourself an accountability partner that'll say, sorry, get yourself an accountability partner that'll say, hey, you know, how is that going? You know, what's headway on that? What's going on with that? Or something of that nature. And it, it really makes a big difference. So, that's my two cents, but I thank everyone for, you know, being here, and I, I, I've learned so much from you guys, being someone that's newer in the community. I, I'm so thankful to have the opportunity to, to be able to learn and to be able to, um, to to bring back all the great information that I've heard on this call to my community. So thank you, guys. You're welcome. I want to say, and my name is Samaya Turner, and I was the one that was talking about the pre-arrest program. I want to say, too, so – it is very interesting to me that there is a lot, and, and, and I don't know if this has already been brought up, but I do want to say there, it's interesting to me the large disconnect between um, the services that are out there and the knowledge that people have of the services. And I want to put out there, just like you were saying, I think we as a community have to actually, and, 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 and I mean this in, in, with love, but we have to humble ourselves enough to be vulnerable enough to stand in front of people and name our truth, name what we're going through, and partner with organizations that are already existing and doing the work. I find a lot of times that we, those of us that are motivated to, to seek change, by, I guess, nature of our experience and us having to survive and do things alone, we tend to want to do it alone. We tend to want to go and, and start our own nonprofits or go and, and start our own thing. And I believe the power of voices, and I am a living witness because of 
the outrage that happened here in Atlanta, we didn't just get trans folk involved. We got everyone involved, all the way down mm-hmm. to senators and Andrew Young. And that was because we came together. And mm-hmm. I agree with um, the person that spoke previously, and I just want to thank everyone for coming onto this call and actually listening, but also connect Aww. to a community organization that is that is doing the work because we there are here there are internship yeah. programs. I mean, there's so many. It's different very programs. important. It's very important that we do. Um, I would like to take this time to say that I appreciate all of you ladies for coming on and supporting this platform and being a part of the show that me and Michael fought, I mean, worked so long and hard on putting together. Thank you for your brilliance and your energy and your love and your words of affirmation that you put into the space. And we hopefully pick up this conversation again. But oh, at this point, the talk with Michael is now <laughs> over. And it's over, you, but, ladies, but don't have- we love it. Yeah, don't hang up. Um, don't hang up, but because there's a closing that's going to play. But again, I, I have to say before my closing comes on that that this conversation will be continued, and this conversation will happen again in in, in a matter of weeks for me to just be able to get the availability of of the women that are on this panel, so we can dig deeper into what we've already addressed or what we've kind of scratched the surface on, yeah. and then of also and the next conversation will be about resources that's available. Yeah, yeah resources and, and, and agencies that are out there. So um, stay tuned to, to, to everyone that's listening. Stay tuned to, to my uh, guests. Thank you so much. Stay on the line, but stay tuned because we will pick up this conversation at a later date sooner than later. So just hold the line for me, and I'm going to allow the um, closing to play now. Tonight has been an amazing night, a night full of conversation, education, and discussion. I want to sincerely thank all of my guests and my special co-host, Ms. Ebony Sherry, for an explosive but yet much needed show. I can pretty much promise you that there will be a part two, sometime, somewhere in the near future. Now for those of you that are listening that happen to be a part of different agencies across the United States that actually focus heavily on the betterment of trans women and men, please, please, please email me all pertinent information about your agency to thetalkwithmica at gmail.com. I want to go ahead and get all of your information out there via social media. We have to allow and make our community aware of all things positive. To my LGBTQIA community, that's right, LGBTQIA community, remember, we have to rally together and support each other and refrain from tearing each other down. Hey, it's 2017. So let's say in 2017, for the rest of 2017 and beyond, let's not remain ignorant. But let's educate ourselves, even if we have to do it all alone, okay? Again, thank you for listening and tuning in on tonight. And please, please stay alert to find out what's next and what's new with the talk with Micah and friends. Until next time, everyone be blessed.